Hey everybody, welcome back to This Is Not About Your Body. I'm Jesse Nealon and I want to give you a little content warning today because I'm going to be talking about um, suicidal ideation, which is thoughts of suicide or, you know, the desire to die. So um, I will be speaking from personal experience. If that is something that's going to trigger you or be bad for your mental health or just yeah, generally not be good for you, I invite you to um, not listen to this episode. I always, always, always want you to put yourself first. And while I think it can be really helpful to share these stories and have um, more in-depth discussions about them, I am also uh, absolutely not interested in making anything worse for someone who's already struggling. So please take care of yourself and do what you need to do. If this is a topic that is going to be bad for your mental health, um, don't listen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my own story. Um, I have been in a depressive episode for about the last year and a half. It's got uh, some concrete um, sort of root cause stuff that is you know, I'm, I'm on medication now and I am in therapy now and I'll be working through it as best I can. But um, I have had depression before, but I would say that I've never had anything like this. I have had downs. I have probably been sort of um, on and off my whole life with depression a little bit, but never on the scale of uh, sort of catastrophic depression that hit me about a year and a half ago. So um, with that in mind, I am also experiencing certain things in a brand new way. And so I've been thinking a lot about those things. And one of them is um, suicidal thoughts or the feeling of not wanting to be alive. And I have a lot of people in my life who experience suicidal ideation as well. And one of the things that I've discovered, um, both because of conversations with them as, you know, I've been sorting through my own stuff and just finding this kind of topic really interesting. And also in my own experience is um, how stigmatized this conversation is. And we as a culture, obviously, we hate the topic, you know, we nobody wants to talk about how somebody wants to die. That's absolutely uncomfortable. And I'm guessing that right now, as you're listening to me talk about it, you're uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's kind of normal, you know. But the issue is, that for a variety of reasons, the topic of suicidal thoughts has become so stigmatized that actually a lot of people, um, they can't share them, you know? And when you can't share something, it lives inside you and it takes up a lot more mental and emotional energy than it really needs to because it gets uh, sort of hidden in you as shame and a secret and it becomes this thing that can become incredibly powerful just because there was nobody there to normalize it and bear witness. Um, and, you know, if you've ever read any of Brene Brown stuff about shame, you know that shame thrives in secret, you know, it thrives when you keep it in, it thrives when um, you hide it from everybody, whereas when you open up and you're vulnerable and you tell somebody your shame, it has a way of dissipating, particularly if the person you're opening up to is able to hold it with empathy and compassion. So this is a huge issue because people who are dealing with suicidal thoughts are the ones who honestly need to have their uh, internal experience witnessed and empathized with with compassion the most, you know, because otherwise it just festers inside them and it's incredibly dangerous. So 
this is something that I feel really strongly about talking more about because now that I have my own personal experience and I've, I've started to talk to more and more people about their experiences, I'm realizing like we just are not handling this in any kind of acceptable manner as a culture right now. So I want to just acknowledge first and foremost that it is a super scary topic. You know, most of the time that we hear about suicidal ideation, it is after someone famous usually or someone in our, our personal social circle killed themselves. And it's really devastating, obviously. It is, it freaks people out, obviously. You know, we, we all heard that, um, you know, a famous comedian killed himself and everyone was so heartbroken because there was just this like devastating realization that somebody who brought so much joy to so many people must have been so, so sad and in so much pain. And I don't know if he had anybody to tell that to or not, but it, it is this like horrifying realization when those things happen. And it's usually after the fact, it's usually when someone has killed themselves that we do that sort of devastating grief work uh, and a little bit of reconciliation of like, how could this happen? How could someone um, like Robin Williams, you know, for example, how could someone like Robin Williams not want to be alive or not think he was worth it being alive? Like, oh my God, it's just, it, it's so difficult to process. So that's pretty much the only time we ever really talk about it, which makes it feel incredibly dangerous because if everybody who ever had suicidal thoughts talked about them, there would be a lot more conversation, right? When we only talk about the the smaller percentage, uh, the small percentage really of people who think about suicide, um, we talk about the ones who have actually done it, then then we're talking about a really small percentage and a really, um, you know, it, it gets covered in this really, really terrifying feeling because there's death involved, there's loss. And what happens, I think, a lot of times is that people experience the kind of like uh, floodedness when they hear about it, where they start to immediately worry, you know, if somebody says, hey, I've been, I've been having thoughts about not wanting to be alive, the person they tell it to will often go to that place. They're like, oh my God, you're going to kill yourself and I'm going to be responsible because you told me and I didn't handle it right. Or, you know, they become scared for themselves because again, death is involved. It becomes this really, really scary topic and people handle it even worse. So if someone tells you that they've been having thoughts of not wanting to be alive, they are not telling you, I am going to do this thing. I'm going to kill myself. But unfortunately, there's really no room for the conversation until it gets to that point because that's how it gets treated, which makes it feel even more shameful for the person sharing it and makes them even less likely to want to share it, you know? So one of the things... Um, that I wish everybody understood was the suicide scale, which is um, a way of breaking down the different risks associated with different levels of suicidal thoughts or ideation. And I mean, you can just look up, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different charts and things that you can look at. Um, one, one that I've seen, it breaks it down into um, suicide risk for primary care providers, I think. And it basically goes through like, what is no suicidal ideation? What is passive suicidal ideation? What is active suicidal ideation? And then what is the last one, which is detailed suicide plan? And, you know, there's no risk, obviously, with, with the first one. Um, there's like a little yellow light for the passive suicidal ideation, um, which is kind of like, you know, thoughts that life isn't worth living, 
um, you know, why bother uh, if I were dead nobody would care or everybody's life would be better um you know i i hope god takes me soon like these are some of the the thoughts that we can see in that passive place it is obviously a sign that that person needs help but the risk in that space is not very high because that person is not um looking to do anything they are just struggling with a feeling of not necessarily wanting to be alive or um not knowing what what the point of being alive is, you know, and that's a really scary place for the person to be in, in their, their own minds. But particularly like this stigma affects, I think people in this category, because they are too scared to tell anyone often that they're having these thoughts or feelings because people will treat them like they're all the way in the really high risk category, which would be the more active suicidal thoughts or detailed suicide plan, both of which require some kind of immediate evaluation, support, attention, whatever, you know? So somebody who is having thoughts like the the passive suicide thoughts, like clearly they need support. And if I ever hear a client talking about this, I am immediately uh, asking them to reach out to a mental health professional if they haven't got one already, asking them to tell their mental health professional if they have one, what's going on, asking them to talk to their provider, um, if they are on meds, you know, just whatever it is, like this is outside my scope and I can recognize it and say like, okay, that is clearly a place where somebody needs a lot more support. And likewise, if anybody in my life said that to me, um, which sometimes they do, that's where I go, right? Like that's where you have to go. But also there are times where they just want to talk about it. And I believe we need to have spaces where you can just talk about it. Because if Every time you say, hey, I'm struggling with the lack of desire to be alive, people are like, oh, my God, go talk to your therapist. You know, like, yeah, you you should have a therapist, but also like maybe you're just processing something really present in your day to day life and you just wish your friend or your family member or your partner, whoever would just listen to it. Just like how you might be struggling with feeling insecure at work or you might be struggling with a friendship or relationship issue and you want somebody to listen in some ways thoughts about death need to have that space held for them too so it's not one or the other you know go get the support of course and encourage anybody who's having those kinds of thoughts to go get the support but also recognize that there isn't necessarily a reason at that point to consider them high risk and in fact by considering them high risk or treating them like they're high risk you often will push them away when they're asking you for a safe place to share the things that they are afraid of and ashamed of which is going to make things worse for them. So really, I, what I really wish for is that everybody could understand um, the the suicide scale. If you look up uh, themighty.com has this article called, well, I think it's just called The Suicidal Scale Can Help You Understand um, Suicidal Thoughts. And it's this cartoon. It's really, really great. And it's a bunch of different stages of what it can look like. And it moves from this really low risk uh, place you know, where you're like happy and uh, just feels good all the way down to that like passive suicidal place where it just, it wouldn't occur to you to kill yourself, but it just feels like the life is too hard and there's no escape and it just, you know, starts to take up a little bit of mental real estate and then it moves on to more and more active until a person has like created a plan and is going to try to end their life, right? That's massive 
risk that is a person who's trying to kill themselves. That's a 10 out of 10. Um, and that person obviously needs medical attention immediately. Um, but so it, watching this cartoon play out or not watching, you know, just like looking at it, reading through it, I think gives you a really good understanding of how complex suicidal thoughts can be when we treat it culturally as not a complex topic. You know, we treat it like there are happy people and there are depressed suicidal people and there really isn't a lot of room for like, what about, what about that middle ground? What about the gray area? What about people who are moving in and out between the gray area and the scary area? It's, it's a lot more nuanced than anybody wants it to be. You know, and, and I think part of the reason that is, is because if we can make it this really binary extreme thing, like anybody who has thoughts of death is a medical, you know, needs immediate medical intervention and is a type of person who is not like me, you know, it gives people like this room to be safe. They're like, ah, I could never have thoughts like that. And I would, therefore, I'm not in danger. Um, but actually, like a lot of people will experience throughout life at some point or another, just those sorts of thoughts, like god damn it being alive is unbelievably difficult painful exhausting whatever it is and they might have some thoughts that that are not being given a container culturally or conversationally and so it it actually will freak people out even more than it needs to to have a thought like that because we've been sort of fed this idea that there's a binary around suicidality that you are suicidal and therefore like gonna try to kill yourself or or not, you're totally safe and would never think about such a thing, you know? So I say all this both because I think it's incredibly important for everybody to realize this and anybody who has people in their life who have suicidal thoughts at times, which frankly is probably all of us, needs to understand that um, the desire to push this topic away or not engage in it is actually often very hurtful. The desire to not be, um, to not engage in a conversation that could put you at risk can be really damaging. And it's understandable. You know, of course it's understandable. If somebody comes to you and says something scary, like sometimes I wish I wasn't alive, you know, we're not all trained to handle that conversation. Of course you don't want to mess it up. So the urge is often to change topics, to try to reassure them, to try to invalidate what they've said or negate it by being like, oh, no, no, you, you know, of course you want to be alive. Your life is great. Um, but all of that stuff just creates more shame and it pushes the person away and it isolates them further. And so I really feel strongly that, you know, we need to be making more space for that nuance and everybody needs to have a better understanding of the suicide scale in terms of risk from uh, no thoughts to passive thoughts to active thoughts to creating a plan to kill yourself because that is a a really really important thing for all of us to know more about. And I highly encourage you to go look it up and, and read more about it. But also in my personal experience of depression, I realized that most of the time when I am in a super dark place, I will experience passive suicidal thoughts, which is to say, I don't see the point of being alive or being alive feels like more work than it's worth too hard, too painful. I just wish I didn't have to deal with it, that kind of thought. And ultimately, I know that I'm safe. I know that I'm not going to do anything. And nobody in my life needs to be like calling 911. And, you know, I'm 
finding my way through therapy, but no, nobody needs to like call my therapist. And you know what I mean? Like there is no emergency. I know that because I have enough self-awareness inside myself and enough information about this suicidal scale to say what I'm having are passive suicidal thoughts. I am having thoughts of death, thoughts of, um, not being alive or it being easier to not be alive, that kind of thing. Now that doesn't make it less horrible for me. Like it is really uncomfortable to sit in a place where these thoughts are coming up because it comes with a feeling of, you know, that really, really dark depression place. Like I'm also usually feeling hopeless, uh, despair, just overwhelmed, um, so so full of pain and grief and sadness like it it's brutal so I'm aware that in those moments I'm in a lot of pain and when I isolate myself that pain gets bigger whereas when I go to somebody and I say I'm having these thoughts I'm in a really dark place and I just want you to bear witness I feel better so I've seen the power of this and it's immediate too like the moment that I tell someone here's how dark it is inside my head today and they hold it for me. They say, oh my God, that sounds awful. I'm so, so sorry. You're experiencing that. I can see how much pain you're in. Like having it held for me, whether by a professional or by a loved one, immediately takes the power away from it to sort of haunt me in my own head. So I know how powerful that is and how healing it can be and how dangerous it would be for me to have to sit with that alone. If every person in my life responded to me sharing these things with, oh my God, don't tell me that, or like, no, 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 you're crazy, everything is good, um, I would not keep sharing, which means I would be unable to access one of the most powerful tools for moving through those moments safely and healthily. So I just know that for myself. And I see it in other people as well. Um, I have worked with people who when it really came down to the thing they were most ashamed of the thing that they had never told anybody the thing that like gets in the way of their body image issues the thing that makes them feel unworthy the thing that makes them feel broken it's that they sometimes think about death or they sometimes don't feel like being alive and because no one has ever said to them before hey that is a normal thing to occasionally feel or think and it means that you need some support but it doesn't mean that you're in any immediate danger or risk of doing anything about it, then they don't know. They don't know where to categorize it. They don't feel like they can tell anyone. They don't, they, they become really scared of themselves. Like it's horrible to put people in that position. So yeah, so for so many reasons, I'm like really passionate about having more of these conversations and talking more about the nuance of this scenario and also because I think that when you know that somebody in your life is regularly having passive suicidal ideation then you can also be aware that you need to be keeping an eye out for anything that is more active and active starts to get towards thoughts that are like um, you know specific or detailed plans or ideas of like how a person would cause self-harm or you kill themselves, um, you know, like e even if it's not, I'm going to do this thing, those are all a lot more active thoughts than just, I, I wish I wasn't alive, you know, which is very passive. So it, it gives everybody a safer network. It gives everybody more, uh, more of the ability to look out for each other and for ourselves. 
Because again, if nobody knows that you're having passive thoughts, they don't know to keep an eye out for if it's evolving into more active thoughts. And also like for yourself just to know, whoa, it was, you know, shameful for me to have passive thoughts now that they're active. Now I'm really in trouble and I'm really alone and nobody will believe me or nobody will um, love me now. You know, it can become this just incredibly dangerous spiral. So being able to talk to other people, being able to have that space held and more people knowing about this stuff and, and being able to hold conversations about it from a place of nuance and from a place of compassion and understanding, but not self-preservation and terror would improve everybody's mental health, really. It would it would make our entire society safer if this was addressed somewhere and everybody were um, let in on it. Um, but also, you know, that stigma, I think, so much of it comes from the fact that uh, therapists and teachers and different people in different positions um, in society actually have to, like, sign agreements saying that if anybody ever says they will harm themselves or others, they have to report it. So, like, a therapist, for example, might have complete confidentiality with their client or patient. They'll say, I will you know, I'm legally not allowed to tell anyone anything that you ever tell me. You have complete, um, complete uh, confidence in that, except if you say you're going to hurt yourself or, or someone else, then I have to report it. And then who do they report it to? Like the police, you know, I mean, I suppose they could call 911 as well. But like, it, it goes to a system that doesn't is not actually designed to help. So it it has to be reported and dealt with in a way that becomes really messy and really complicated. And, and in some ways, that's absolutely a good thing because it means people get involved fast. Um, but in other ways, it means a lot of people are hesitant to say anything because they don't want all that to happen. You know, if you're having some thoughts like this, but you don't want the police showing up at your door or... 911 getting involved or whatever it is like and you don't want to be locked up in a um in a mental health facility then maybe you just keep it to yourself and you don't tell your therapist until things are bad enough that maybe you take action right like there is something about the fact that we have um a, a culture in which the obligation to share when we hear these things takes us down a really scary path a really intense path and frankly a really inappropriate path for somebody who's in that passive thoughts of death place so again i think having more nuance is so important and having a more awareness of this um, ability to sort of assess the spectrum of of risk around thoughts of death or thoughts of suicide because that would allow us to know that we were safe sharing with somebody hey i've been having some of these thoughts and I want to be able to process it with you. And I'm I'm not going to do anything. I just really hate being in such a dark place that being alive doesn't seem worth it. And I want someone to know that that's what I'm feeling right now. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable processing with, with someone, like depending on the relationship, you know, it might not be appropriate. It might not be okay. That's totally valid. But for people to hold this idea that the moment they say something, they're going to have like the police showing up at their door keeps people from saying something, which means again, it just stays inside and it festers and it makes it all the more dangerous. Um, now I, I also just wanted to say like 
from a personal perspective, it is just really shitty to find yourself in that kind of position. And as someone who is, generally speaking, um, pretty, you know, successful and um, I don't want to say happy exactly, but like I'm, I'm good. You know, I have a good life. I have a lot going for me. I think it, it's also really identity um, destroying. It, It can be really, really scary and hard to try to hold in your mind who you believe yourself to be and that you sometimes have thoughts of death or dying. It, it creates a big mess inside you, or at least it can. It does for me. Um, because these things are not cognitively in alignment. You know, there's this big dissonance, this big weird conflict of like, I know that everything is fine, but depression is deeply chemical. So I can know that everything is fine in the same moment and the same breath that I feel like being alive isn't worth it. And that, it's really confusing. And again, there's so much about this experience that I think is like really interesting. And I've never heard anybody say or describe before. But once I started talking to people in my life who have had these thoughts, so much information started to come out. So many patterns. Uh, so, so much was shared you know, because this is an entire human experience experienced by a lot of people that is not being discussed at all. So when I say to someone like, I'm in so much pain that I I feel like my skin will break, you know, that is a very real experience that I have sometimes in my darkest darks. It feels like me living inside my body is so deeply wrong or me living in this universe is so deeply wrong that it is physically painful to have a body, to have skin. Like that is a thing that often accompanies, that is an experience that often accompanies the thoughts of it's not worth being alive. I don't want to do it anymore. So for me, I have people in my life who know this. And it means that when I talk about my experience, if I start to say things like being in my body is just so painful or, you know, my skin is buzzing, whatever like little ways that I have found to describe this uh, sensation and experience and state to people, they know what to look for. And either they have something uh, that they can understand because they've been there themselves or I know their cues if they go there themselves Or they just keep an eye out because they're someone who loves me and they can look for these clues in conversation. Another thing is like, um, for me with my depression, one of my red flags is showering. If I go a day without showering, it's not usually a huge deal, but it wouldn't happen when everything was going really great, probably. Um, I like showering, you know. um, It's something that I would normally do daily, but uh, skipping a day here and they're not a big deal. If I've skipped two days, I can pretty well say that I'm in a depression funk. And if I've skipped three, I can, I can take a really good statistical guess to say that I'm having some suicidal ideation. That means things are so bad that I am really struggling to like get up and, and have a life. 
And again, these are things that I've learned about myself through processing my own suicidal ideation and my own depression and observing that stuff in myself and sharing it with other people so that now, um, you know, I live with my partner and my partner knows that showering is one of my red flags so they can keep an eye out, you know, which is really helpful to have that kind of support. Because again, if I'm unable to shower, I'm also probably unable to have a really thoughtful and in-depth conversation about how I'm feeling. You know, I'm like probably just in bed or crying a lot. It's shitty, but it's powerful to know that people have your back and they know your red flags and they know what that experience feels like to you. And none of that can happen if you're not able to talk about it. None of that can happen if you are too ashamed of what you're experiencing to open up about it to people or if when you open up about it to people, they respond in such a way where you feel like you can't talk about it or there's something wrong with you or you're scaring them or making them uncomfortable. Of course they're uncomfortable. You don't want to be alive. Like that is uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable is an appropriate response. But being uncomfortable and making you deal with it yourself is not. Being uncomfortable and saying, wow, that hurts me so much to hear that you're in that place and I'm uncomfortable even just sitting here with you, but I want you to know I am a safe place to talk about what that's like and I'm learning as we go, so please let me know if there's anything that I can do to make these conversations easier on you and also know that I can only have these conversations if you are seeing your mental health professional or you are taking your meds or whatever it is that you need to feel sure that they are safe. Like that is powerful. And I wish more people could do it. And I think that's really all I wanted to say today. Um, obviously, this is an uncomfortable topic. I feel a little strange about talking about it on the internet. But it is part of my truth. It doesn't happen a lot, but it is part of it. And also, um, interestingly, I tried a medication recently that was supposed to help, obviously. It was a, an attempt to help treat my depression. But unfortunately, some of these medications, they work differently with everybody's brain chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. And so this one pushed me into um, a level of active suicidal ideation that I had never experienced before. And because I had been talking about this with all the people in my life for long enough, um, once I started expressing something different, they were all able to reflect it immediately. They were all able to catch on really quickly and notice, oh shit, this is different. And I, I am so grateful for that, you know, because it was clearly the medication. As soon as I got off the medication, that stopped. But there was a level of action that my thoughts started to take instead of just, this is too hard, I don't want to do it anymore. It started to sound in my head like I would be better off dead and wanting to die. And there was it was just different. It had a completely different tone and texture to it. And because I'd been talking about it, because people knew what was normal for me in my darkest darks, it was able to be caught easily and fast. And I was able to get off the medication and no harm came. Now, can you imagine a person with no resources who is in complete isolation, who is trying to treat their depression with a medication, who does not feel safe sharing this stuff or because, you know, when they share it, people get really freaked out. They just try not to or whatever. 
dealing with that alone in their heads. I mean, it just breaks my heart to think of all the people who need the support that is only available if we destigmatize this conversation and if everybody gets better educated about the different stages of risk when it comes to thoughts about suicide. So this is sort of part me coming out, you know, transparency all the way. This is an experience that I am dealing with. It is also part public service announcement. You probably have someone in your life right now who sometimes thinks about not wanting to be alive. And that person needs you to be equipped and and capable of holding them in that truth if and when they feel ready to share it. Because we just, we all need that. It's so, so important that we are better educated around um, how to handle those moments and how to make it okay for the person who needs support to start talking about needing that support. So that's everything for today. Um, My apologies if this is a super downer of a conversation. Um, As I've mentioned, I think that it is a really interesting topic and I've personally moved through enough uh, work on it that I, I personally don't get too down talking about it. Um, but I, I can understand that it might be uncomfortable. And if it made you uncomfortable, I, I see and appreciate that. And I do apologize for it. Um, I hope it was just at least useful. Um, if you are someone who's experiencing these things, I'm sorry that, that the, the stigma is affecting you. And I do encourage you to start talking about it in places that you can feel safe, whether that is um, just to a therapist or a professional, or if you have someone in your life, you can show this scale to go look up that um, the cartoon on the mighty and say, hey, I'm here. And this is why this is important. You can send them this episode if it's helpful um, as to why you want to start talking about it. But otherwise, I just appreciate you being here, listening, learning, exploring, because body image stuff is, you know, so much more complicated than just not liking how you look. It is about shame. It is about fear. It is about self-worth. It is about mental health and all these things, these topics. I mean, it's why I named my podcast the thing I named it. This is not about your body. I want to talk about all the things that lead up into, inform, and complicate stuff like body image. I want to talk about the stuff that leads to needing coping mechanisms and distractions and numbing uh, behaviors like body image issues because that's the shit that really matters. And until we talk about that deeper stuff, we have nowhere to go. We have no healing to do. So body neutrality asks us to go deeper. This is part of that deeper. So thank you for being here today. Um, I look forward uh, to catching you on the next episode.